In our study through the book of Acts, learning about various ministers and their method, their mission, and their messages. And last week, Pastor Mike shared with us about three different individuals. Well, today, he's going to share with us about one, and his name was Timothy. And Timothy is a young man who uh, the Apostle Paul identified as someone who would be a tremendous asset to the church. And Paul basically takes Timothy under his wing and trains him and sets him loose on the churches to be Paul's emissary, basically. And what we're going to learn about today is the importance of knowing through a, a, a process of discernment what God's called you to do so that you can execute that. And our scripture this morning gives us a little bit of a background of this young man of Timothy. I'll be reading three passages. The first one comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. And it says this, that Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who had lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were numbered, or were strengthened in faith, and in faith, and grew daily in numbers. The second passage comes from a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi, the Philippians, and I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And this is Paul writing about Timothy. He says, I hope that in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And then finally, I'll read to you from a letter that Paul writes to Timothy himself. I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he writes this to young Timothy. He says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is, these are the messages that God has given us today through His Word. And now as we go to a time of prayer, we'll ask that God will give us messages today through His servant, Pastor Mike. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before You this morning in worship and in praise, bowing before You, Lord, asking for Your guidance and direction in our lives. And Your Holy Word, provides us with a path to follow and teaches us how to know and serve you better. We ask today for the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us, to give us boldness. We ask, Lord, that you would inspire us the way that you inspired men like Paul and Timothy and others. May we look to live our lives as those before us and come to know you better, to love you more fully and serve you more faithfully. Lord, we pray today for Ron and Ruth Yonke and their family who, following the death of Ron's mother, Loretta Armstrong, who passed away. We ask that you would provide them with the full measure of your comfort and peace as they mourn their loss, as do Walker and Linda Kelly, who mourn the loss of their nephew, Chris. We lift up the children of our community as 
Many will begin their school year this week, and we pray that they would have a successful and safe year. We pray, Lord, for our community, in particular those who struggle with all kinds of illnesses, for those who feel isolated and alone, and for those who barely have enough to survive. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us in the ways that we can best serve them in your name. And Lord, we pray this morning, as our hearts are turned toward the message today from Pastor Mike, that you would anoint him powerfully, Lord, that you would speak your words through him, and that we would be able to listen with gratefulness and with change in our hearts as a result of this message today. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you're a visitor to First United Methodist Church, we're sure glad you've come this morning. And of course, if you're with us always, uh, we're grateful that you're here as well and glad that you're here to worship the Lord with us. Uh, a couple of prefatory things uh, before I go to this, the sermon this morning. Uh, first, uh, a note of praise. For uh, more than 20-some years, Artist Port has been the uh, custodian here at First United Methodist Church cleaning this uh, 60,000 square foot or more facility. She has done a fantastic job working with very old buildings and uh, keeping them clean, but the moment has come for artists to retire. So next Sunday, hopefully you'll come a little bit early and go downstairs and pat her on the back and celebrate with artists as she gets to ride into the uh, uh, joy that is um, retirement. And also, uh, at the same time, we'd ask you to celebrate with Norma Swift. Uh, Norma Swift has been the uh, church uh, secretary and receptionist uh, for the past dozen or so years, she's managed uh, both Pastor Stan Wilson and myself as the senior pastor, which, as you can imagine, would be an incredibly tough task. Uh, and she, too, has uh, chosen this moment, uh, the end of August, uh, to ride off into the sunset that is retirement. So we certainly celebrate both of them. And I hope you'll come for, uh, early next week, pat them on the back, and uh, uh, give them a great uh, show of appreciation. Okay, now, this... Uh, this next piece, as we go to the scripture sermon, I'm going to give you a picture that's worth a thousand words later, okay? This is going to be worth a thousand year, words later. All you need is two fingers. Everybody got two pointer fingers? Put them up, put them up, put them up, put them up, put them up. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Here we go, okay. You follow me, okay? I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. I'm Inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and saved my life from sin, I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. Okay, ready? Here we go. Sing with me. Okay, now we're not going slow this time. Here we go. Fingers up. Let's, the right finger's up. All right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Confirmation seems right. Here we go. I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. I'm inward, outward, upright, downward, happy all the time. Sin. Jesus Christ came in and saved my life from sin. I'm inward, outward, upward, downward, happy all the time. Amen. All right. How about that, huh? Now, save that thought because that's not going to be just a little thing. That's an important thing later in the sermon. I want the suspense to build. I want you to... I feel it. Is it bubbling already? We'll come back to that. Let's talk about Timothy. Timothy, as a minister, is faithful, devoted, trusted, and flawed. That's point A, if you're writing stuff down. 
Timothy as a minister is faithful, devoted, trusted, and flawed. Now, Timothy is different from most of the characters in your New Testament scripture that we encounter because of this. Most everybody else that we encounter was a Greek, a Gentile, or a Jew. And as we meet them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and so forth, they are transformed into Christians. They come to Jesus Christ because of the preaching missions of Paul, Peter, and the others. This is not true for Timothy. Timothy is the first, second generation Christian that we meet in the New Testament. His grandmother, who's named, his mother, who's named, even though they were Jewish in their background, had come to know Christ. And so Timothy, such as it was, was raised in a Christian home. He's a second generation Christian, the first one. His parents are a mixed race, his dad's a Greek, his mom's a Jew. But when Paul meets him, unlike others that we see where, where they come to Christ, where they come to understanding, Timothy is already devoted. He's already a devoted follower of Jesus. He's living with Christ day by day. And when he begins his ministry to Paul, listen to this, fellas. Timothy was so possessed with the ministry that Paul was doing and so wanting to be his partner to be more effective among the Jews as an adult, Timothy chose to be circumcised. Because he thought that was an important piece to go out in ministry. Now, his faithfulness and passion, passion for Christ, eventually make him a very trusted companion of the Apostle Paul. Some of Paul's letters begin with an address, a salutation that says, From Paul, the disciple of Christ, and Timothy, our brother, or Timothy, my co-worker in Christ. Two of the letters, one and two Timothy, obviously, are directed right towards Timothy and counseling him in his life. And Paul describes Timothy variously as a brother, as God's faithful servant, and even at one point as an apostle. But let's be clear about who Timothy is. You know, when the apostle Paul would walk into a town, he'd go straight to the synagogue, and he would begin to thunder away in preaching. He would begin to, to, to talk about the scrolls of the faith and under, unpack the scriptures and teaching those in a new place, wherever he went, that Jesus Christ was the way, that they should turn from where they're going. Timothy, not so much. Timothy, as we learn about him, was not so effective being bang, the out and front guy. He, he might be associated with the apostles, but Timothy, no matter how devoted he is, no matter how faithful he is, he is shown to be timid and a little bit effective. Check this out. As the ministries in some of these churches, we, we read about the ministry in Philippi, we've heard about Corinth, we've heard about Galatia, we've read about uh, Ephesus. When the ministry at Corinth started to kind of fall apart and the arrogance of the Corinthian church started to brew up, Paul sent Timothy to them and said, look, there's a problem in the church, calm it down. Go get those people to, to look at the same way, to face Jesus Christ with their life. So Timothy goes, but when he gets there, He's not very effective. So much so that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, hey, give this guy a break. Support Timothy a little bit. Help him along in the ministry. But it just doesn't work. Timothy, try as he may, is not being the effective teacher that he needs to be. So what Paul does is send Titus to do the work of his deputy. Now, when someone else comes to do your job, it doesn't indicate that you've done so well, right? So Timothy fails and goes back to Paul. Now here's something very, very different than what we learned about Paul last week. 
Remember when John Mark kind of let Paul down? And Paul just cut him off for 20 years. Don't want anything to do with you. You just, you can't come with me. I don't want you to go with Barnabas. You don't come with me. Instead, with Timothy, maybe because Paul's learned his lesson, maybe because Paul's learned that people can grow and change in life, when Timothy kind of fails out at Corinth, Paul brings him back in. Because he knows he's faithful. He knows he's devoted. And it's possible that he's just struggling with that particular task. And to me, this is one of the most encouraging things that we learn about Timothy. Is Timothy is incredibly devoted. He's incredibly faithful. But he's also flawed. Do you guys know anybody that's flawed? Sitting by anybody that's flawed? <laughs> Some people point, yeah. <laughs> Remember, when you point at someone else, they're all pointing back at you, you know? But see, that to me is so exciting because Paul, or Timothy, doesn't have to be a super Christian. Doesn't have to be a super pastor. He's totally committed and devoted to Christ, but not perfect. So that's Timothy's as a minister. He's faithfully devoted, trusted, and flawed. Let's look at Timothy's message. Timothy's message is that Christians should eagerly fulfill the call God has on their lives. If you're writing that down, Christians, that's something to write down. Christians should eagerly fulfill the call that God has on their lives. See, Timothy stood out as a person who had definitely given his whole life to Christ. He had put himself out there, but that did not make him a great preacher or the most prolific leader in the church. Let me give you, you've heard the story about that farmer, right? Farmer's out here, you know, it's spring in Iowa. He's out, you know, tilling up the, the land. He's getting ready for the next season. And as he's dragging his plow through the, through the ground, it, it's a miracle. Right in front of him, these clouds shape themselves around. And they shape themselves into a capital P and a capital C. Huge capital P and capital C in the clouds in front of him. And he says, oh, my goodness what that must mean. I, I'm not sure what that means. I, I, I can't be sure, but it seems to me that if the Lord puts those initials out in front of me, it must mean preach Christ. And so he jumped down out of his tractor. He grabbed this Bible that he read out of every week in church, and he went to towns and villages around, and he began to preach from the Old and New Testaments the glory of Jesus Christ. But the thing of it is, he wasn't very effective. People weren't listening to him. They didn't come at the altar calls. And so finally at the end of one night, after a particularly unsuccessful sermon, he closed his Bible and he knelt down at the altar and said, Lord Jesus, there I was plowing in the fields, doing the work of a farmer. And you put that big P and C in the clouds in front of me and I knew, I, I was certain it meant that I should preach Christ, but Lord, tell me what it really means. And the Lord said, son, as clear as I possibly could, I was telling you, plant corn. <laughs> plant corn. See, sometimes that's how it goes for us. There has to be in the church this marriage of discernment and fulfillment. We have to discern what God is speaking to us in our lives, and then we have to go out and fulfill it. We can't assume, we can't think that just because someone else tells us we should be doing something, that we should be doing it. See, discernment is trying to, to not just trying to figure out in an intellectual thing, but in prayer and in, in, in study and in just being quiet with God, trying to listen to what God would have us do and, and asking the question, God, what would you have? What is your call upon my life. You see, Timothy, 
went out there and he knew God had a call in his life. He knew that God had a hold of his heart. But what he realized was, I am called and devoted and faithful to God, but I'm not the leader. I'm not the one that should stand in front of the people. I'm the one that should stand beside them and help them along. You know, this happens even in the greatness and the power of the Methodist Church. Years ago, I was granted an associate pastor when I was at the Webster City Asbury Church. I was so excited. You know, we've been looking forward uh, for a long time to have uh, someone come alongside me. Methodist Church appointed a guy named David, great man. David had been raised in southwest Iowa and gotten into about his late 30s. Was real active in the church, loved teaching the Sunday school in the church, loved being the lay leader, loved being the staff parish relations, loved helping the pastor with his work. And people in the church told him, Dave, you ought to go to seminary. Dave, you ought to go to seminary. Dave, so he went to seminary. He went to seminary in, in, in uh, Madison, New, New Jersey, in Drew University. He came out of seminary and he was, he was uh, you know, ordained as a deacon in our church. And he came alongside me and six months he was the associate pastor. He struggled the whole time. From day one to day last. New Year's Eve, he calls me. He said, I can't do it, man. He says, Mike, I am called. I love nothing more than I love Jesus Christ, but I am not supposed to be a pastor. Which, my only answer was, I know. <laughs> but I loved him. And I said, so what's going to go on? Anyway, Dave, Dave stepped away in this time of discernment. He'd spent six months discerning thoughtfully looking through what God wanted him to do with his life. He understood finally his call, and then he could start fulfilling it. See, fulfilling your call is just as important as the call itself. Because once you're called and you understand what God wants you to do, you have to go do something about it. Timothy knew who he was. See, you ever watch the movie or the old TV show, Wild Wild West? You ever seen that? You know what Timothy was? Artemis Gordon. He was a sidekick. He was Paul's right-hand man. He wasn't the man that stood in front of Timothy, Paul. He wasn't the man that stood in front of the church. He was built to be a sidekick. He had the DNA of a sidekick, of a great and faithful, devoted sponsor and follower. But he was not the main leader. My boy David, he went back to southwest Iowa. And today, I'm sure... He's helping lead the church he's in. I know he's teaching that high school Sunday school class again. I know he's faithfully working a job. He's a great father. And he has an acting and fulfilling his call because he knows what God made him to do. Now, a minute ago, you were led poorly in a song. See, I'm not the song leader of this church. I know that. Heck, I got Simon Candle and Mike Ransom. I got Allison Padley standing around. We got all these people standing around that can lead a song way better than me. I can do the actions to make you laugh, but most of you know why you're laughing. Because I lead the song. Right? Because that's not my gift. That's not who I am. My call is to something else. And my life is to fulfill it. Here's the thing. The scriptures teach us over and over to use who you are and what you have to act upon your call. You know, Homer and Emmy Lou, remember I've told you about them many times, you know, those lovebirds. Homer and Emmy Lou sitting on the porch swing, swinging back and forth, back and forth. Nice late summer evening. Homer looks over at Emmy Lou and says, Emmy Lou, if I had a hundred arms, I'd wrap them all around you. Says, Emmy Lou, if I had a hundred hands, I'd caress your hair just to let you know with a hundred hands how beautiful you are to me. 
Emmalou, if I had a hundred lips, I'd kiss you a hundred times. And Emmalou pushes back and says, Homer, quit talking about what you don't have and do something with what you do have. You understand me? See, we got to use what we do have and act upon our call. Discernment leads to fulfillment of the call that God has on your life. And by the way, God knows what you have and do not have because he put it or did not put it there in you for you, for the edification of the church and the mission. Let's go third. Timothy's mission. Your station in life is an asset for ministry, not a handicap. Repeat after me what it says on that screen. Your station in life is an asset for ministry, not a handicap. See, it's always easy for someone to look down on you. But don't you look down on you. Don't you ever look down on you. See, Timothy is this guy that is obviously so concerned about the way he looks, about the way he comes off so youthful. I don't know if he didn't shave till he was like 35 or 40 or what, but all the way through the scriptures, you can see how self-conscious he is about his youth. I mean, some of you, you know, a lot of you guys are young in this service, but some of you know what I'm talking about. You ever go to the doctor... And you sit on the thing, and you feel like you're in third grade because they pick your feet up off the ground. Maybe even you got the little gown on or something. And you're waiting for your doctor who you haven't ever met before, and stinking Doogie Hauser walks in on you. Did any of you get to that age yet where your doctor walks in and you're saying, so when do they start giving medical degrees to 12-year-olds? Seriously. You know what I'm saying? I had that once. I was like, man. I started thinking, man, my doctor's young. Then it came to me. That's awesome. My doctor's young. He's fresh out of the lab. He hasn't lost any of those ideas yet. He hasn't got steeped in tradition. Man, he might heal me. Didn't work, obviously, but, you know. But here's the thing. You've got to use what you have as an asset in ministry, not a handicap. See, youth brings with it new enthusiasm. It brings visions. It brings new methods. It brings a different kind of energy It's not corrupted with failed plans and broken dreams and holding on to some traditional way of do something. It's unafraid to risk. Now, on the other hand, see, we need this all. I I loved it a couple weeks ago when Linda Kelly coined this phrase, the not-so-young. You know, we're a church filled with the young and the not-so-young. Because you know what the not-so-young bring to the table? We bring experience with which we can teach and mentor and shape and empower. See, we're experienced by our experiences. We're experienced by the stuff we've done. We're willing to advise and we're willing to encourage a whole new group to come. See, I, I, I was taught like you, and maybe this is Bible school song day, I don't know. When I was a little kid, they taught me Jesus loves the little children, all the children in the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in his sight. Do you hear that one? But we should have added to that verse. Of course, we didn't have any perspective when we were six that we should add these verses, but we should have added, you know, that Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in sight, and so are the people with walkers and gray hair and no hair and too big a waistbands and too small a waistbands that are too tall, that are too short, that feel like they're tired, all those things. Jesus loves all the people of the world, and that's the whole point is the church needs all, Jesus needs all, and you need to use what you have and not concentrate on what you don't have. We have to be faithful in our generation with what God has given us, not worrying so much about what we don't have. It is said of David that he was faithful in his generation with the power of the king. 
because he was the king. But if you're not the king, you're granted something else. See, when the stakes are high about something, we always tend to say, or many of us tend to say, look, I am too fill in the blank. Young, old, smart, not smart, too knowledgeable of the Bible, not knowledgeable enough of the Bible. See, but we can't use that excuse. We can't say when the stakes get high that we're too something. There's a guy named Ken Medema. Some of you might know Ken or heard of his music. When he was a little boy, his sister brought him to the piano and said, Ken, sit down at the piano. He says, I can't figure out the piano. I, can't. I know there's 88 keys, but I can't figure out the way they all work. I don't really want to learn the piano. She said, Ken, you've got music in your heart. I've seen you sing. You need to sit at the piano and make some of your own music. He says, I can't. And then she said, Ken, you need to make music. He says, look, I can't even read music. And she kept pursuing him, saying, Ken, you can do this. And he says, listen, I am blind. I cannot see. I can't see the music. I can't see my key, the keys. And she says, use what's in your heart. And he began to play. And Ken Medema today, he's probably got several songs that you know and that you like singing. He's become one of the most famous praise and worship writers in our time. Because he didn't concentrate as he aged on what he did not have. He concentrated on what he had. My, my friend Kai Manamoy, bless his memory, was the pastor at State Center, Iowa. A little small town in the center of Iowa. Duh, obviously. It's State Center, right? You know why they call it that, Brady? It's in the center of the state. It's true. It's true. So Kai is there, and Kai is from Africa. Now, if you've ever been to State Center, you know a few things about State Center, but maybe you don't know this. Kai was in a staff parish meeting, and they wanted Kai to get business cards. Now, Kai was from Africa. I mentioned that, I think. And Kai said, I don't need business cards. When I'm out on the street in State Center, you tell them just to come to the black man, and he is our pastor. He's the only black man in town. I don't need any cards. Just say there is the black man. He is our pastor, right? But Kai knew this. You use what you do have, not what you don't have. You concentrate on what you can give to God, not what God has not given you, what you not what you cannot use. You know your situation better than anyone else. Use it as an asset for Christian ministry. So let's bring this thing home. Fourth, let's look at Timothy's method. Timothy's message is, method is simple. Live so others can see the Christ in you. Third Bible school song of the day. Live so Christ, so others can see the Christ in you. Third Bible song. When I was a little kid, you go down to Bible school and you sit down in the basement of this church and they'd say, okay, everybody, do this. You know what's coming next, right, when you do that? This little light of mine, you know that song? Okay, what that was all about was all these Sunday school teachers, all your parents, all the Bible lessons, all the children's sermons are trying to push the truth of Jesus Christ into your life so that for him you might shine. And what we were told to do, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's to say, live so others can see your faith. And then the second verse, it comes right on Matthew 5, verse 15. It says, hide it under a bushel. No. But here's the thing. When we're young adults, when we're youth, or whenever we feel pressure around us, when people say, you know, you're, you're this or that, you know what we tend to do? We would start to hide our faith. But here's the thing. You can't hide your faith. You can't even say to me in your big boy, big girl world, hey, pastor, Jesus called me individually. 
That's true. Christ comes to you individually, but your faith is not private. Okay? The gospel might come to you individual, individually, but Christianity is a communicable faith. And it only works best in community. You heard Mike Ransom say that earlier. Christian faith comes out of us. You know, your life should indicate that you're ready to communicate that Jesus Christ is Lord. When people see you, they should say, now listen to this, this life verse that we've been putting on this for, for several years. We've called our youth ministry 412. Here's why. This is what 412 is. Command and teach these things. Here's 412, 1 Timothy 412. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Let me ask you this. As you look at 1 Timothy and listen to your call and begin to discern how it is to fulfill that call, answer yourself this. What is it about my speech? When I'm at work, when I'm saying the things of family, when I'm saying the things of of friendship, what is it about my speech that seems to let Christ in me show out to others? What is it about my actions? What is it about the conduct of my life that when people look at me, they say, well, I don't know much else, but I know that that is a Christian because I can see that because of the way they live. What is it about your love to whom you offer your heart and the way in which you offer your heart that Christ is seen in you? What is it about your faith? I mean, when people look at you, can they see the foundations of your faith that go way below the ground into the very heart of Jesus Christ and you're being held up by him? And when people look at you and say, that is a person that is seeking purity. They're either being purified or are purified right now. Do others see the Christ in you? My mother was a teacher long ago, way back in Esterville. She was teaching uh, third graders, I think it was. I can't recall. But she, like so many young women uh, that believed in the Lord, wore a little cross around her neck, a little cross necklace. And one day, get this story, one day she was helping this little girl with her mathematics, and she bent over, and that cross dangled down in front of her. And the little girl looked up to her and said, Teacher, Your faith is showing. Your faith is showing. With your life, with everything that you say and do, is yours? Is your faith showing? Let's go to God. God, we ask your blessing on each one of our lives gathered here. We ask that we serve you well, that everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we think, every action that we are a part of, every community that we are a part of, it shines you through us. We ask, Lord, that we might be faithful uh, to the mission, the ministry, the method, uh, and the work of of Timothy, the disciple who teaches us, uh, that we are useful to you, uh, regardless of our handicaps uh, you have need for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.